Welcome to a special edition of the Truth for the Matter is podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and I'm here with our special guest. But before we introduce and welcome her inappropriately, let's begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. If this is your first time listening, we want you to know that the Truth of the Matters podcast is all about providing an honest, contextual, historized, philosophical, and psychological view of the Bible through the use of hermeneutics while sharing some personal experiences from myself and Daniel. We believe in sharing practical ways of applying God's word to everyday life. Today, we will praise God for a new voice and testimony that we will hear. We hope that after hearing this woman of God, that you will be encouraged, uplifted, and we hope that you will see that an encounter with Jesus Christ would never be the same. So, so let's invite our special guest in. Welcome in, Barbara Culliver. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How was your Christmas? My Christmas was wonderful. All my family was with me, my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, and all the in-laws. <laughs> That's great. So for those who don't know who you are, here's some facts about Barbara. She's 76 years old. She's taught scripture for 50 years. She has been married to her husband for 58 years. She has two daughters, eight grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. Her passion is living the word of God and teaching people how to live the Christian life. So today we will hear Barbara's testimony and hear her share how to make the Bible personal in today's living. Before we get started, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit in first and foremost. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to fellowship with one another. Lord, you said anytime two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. So we thank you for our guest, Barbara. The Truth of the Matters podcast appreciates the time she has set aside to provide us with her personal testimony, Lord. Lord, we thank you because we get a sneak peek into her faith walk to see how her interaction with you is a blessing and therefore we get to see it play out in her life and what she shares lord we thank you because opportunities and times like this allows us to be encouraged and blessed so i pray that in this conversation someone will be encouraged lord open up our eyes to see our ears to hear our hearts to receive and our minds to understand what it is that she has to share. Whoever is listening, bless her, bless them, and allow them to leave with a different perspective on life and a different perspective on your word. So Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Barbara, where are you from originally? I am from Henderson, Kentucky. Okay, you've been there your whole entire life. My entire life, I was born here, raised here, married here, and lived here all my life. Have you traveled anywhere else outside of Kentucky? Nope. Okay. So <laughs> tell us some amazing things about Kentucky in general, for those who haven't been there. Kentucky is an amazing state. It has mountains. It has valleys. It has any kind of entertainment that you want you can find in Kentucky of course we're known for the horse racing uh-huh. I personally don't enjoy that but people do it, we have lots of museum in our hometown we have Audubon Park Museum which is named for John Audubon who was the bird watcher and painted a lot of birds but we're an amazing state we're friendly we love people we want you to feel like you're at home when you're in Kentucky. Sounds good. Sounds good. And in regards to place to eat, do you have any places that you might want to share that someone who might be interested might want to go to? Well, Henderson is kind of a small town okay. compared to Lexington or Louisville. Uh-huh. But we have Tumbleweed. Okay. We have Cracker Barrel, which is famous across the south we have across the river we have Evansville Indiana which has the Longhorn Steakhouse it has Old Charlie's it 
has all the main restaurants in town. Okay. We usually eat here in town simply because now that we're older and my husband crossed the bridge for 41 years to go to work, he doesn't like to go to Indiana anymore. So we usually just eat here in town. Okay. Good to know. I'm glad. I mean, the closest I've ever been in the South is I actually was in South Dakota. That was like the closest I've been out. And I think I've been uh, probably Kansas, anything at least in the South. Those are the areas that I've been in for myself. So let's get started about your childhood. What was your childhood like? You don't mind sharing that. My childhood growing up was unusual in the fact I didn't think I was loved by anybody. And that was due to the fact that my parents divorced when I was 18 months old. I, my mom just walked, seemingly walked out of my life forever. I didn't understand what I could have possibly done as a baby to cause that to happen. So that brought on a lot of questions for me and never got really good answers for it. But my dad got custody and I didn't understand that because he was a truck driver. And I I love truck drivers. My dad always said, as long as your trucks are rolling, your economy will eventually come back. But he was never home. So growing up from the age of 18 months to five years old, I was, well, actually six years old, I was never with my dad. His siblings raised me. He had eight, and I think I lived with all of them at some point or another. But the last time I lived with his brother and his family, they took me to church, and that made a difference in my life. He got remarried, and his wife had no children and made it very well known to me she really didn't want children because I was constantly told we get along fine when you're not around. And so I didn't bond with my dad because he wasn't there growing up. So we didn't have that father-daughter bond, and it was very upsetting for me because I just didn't think anybody could love me. I, I didn't know what love looked like or what it felt like. But my uncle had made my dad promise to let me go to church, Sunday school, somewhere. He said, I don't care where, just let her go to Sunday school somewhere. Now, this is where Jeremiah 29, 11 comes into my life. Because God had a plan for me even before I even knew anything about him. Because there was a church right behind our house that I could have walked to within three minutes. But my dad got up on Sunday morning, drove six blocks, and at the age of six, he dropped me off at a church he had never been in himself, and I didn't know one person. Uh But I never felt uncomfortable in that place. I always felt at home. In fact, my Sunday school teacher would always let me sit with her family when I was younger. I never went to church with my parents. I never sat in a church service with my dad and stepmother. But it was a place that I seemingly just hungered to always be. I felt like I could be me there. Uh And my Sunday school teacher was always telling us every Sunday, how much Jesus loved us. But I would go home and I would say, no, he can't love me because I'm unlovable. Uh Something's wrong with me. But at the age of nine, my church gave me my first Bible. And I was so excited to get that Bible not realizing it was the word of God, not thinking about what it would do in my life later on. It was just a book for me. And it was a book where I was going to now read those stories that I had been told about 
for so many Sundays. So I began reading. I started at the beginning, and I read it to the end. And believe me, I didn't understand one thing I read. Not one. But I could not just toss it aside like most of my books. It just kept calling me to come pick it up again. So before I ever accepted Christ, I had read the Bible all the way through three times. And I tell people I didn't understand any more the third time than I did the first time. But I did understand the fact, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. I got that he loved the world, but for me, he couldn't love me. There just was no way this mighty God that I was reading about could love me. But in my teenage years, I was allowed to go to church camp. And it was there when I was 15 that I heard in my head this voice that said, come to me, just come to me. And I didn't question that voice. I just said, I can't do that. And I heard those words a second time. And I said, I can't do that because you can't love me like you love the people I read about in this book. And I heard it the third time. I go home from camp. And those words just kept coming to my mind. I could not get them out of my head. So about three months or two months later, on my actual 16th birthday, I walked the aisle of my church and I surrendered my life to Christ. And I don't know what happened in that moment or what he did that was made it different. But for the first time in my life, I knew I was loved. And it felt so good. Okay, so just want to backtrack a little bit. You spoke about feeling at home when you were in the church. What about the church made you feel at home? Was it the people? Was it, you know, being around people that, you know, you weren't alone? Was it the atmosphere? Could you describe what do you think it was? You know, I really don't know. I think it was the the presence that God was there. Uh, I, 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 the people loved me. I was, I never felt uh, unaccepted. They all accepted me and, and encouraged me to be, you know, the person that God invi- invited me to be. Uh-huh. But I just, as I got older, I think it was just the fact that his presence was there. And I didn't have that at home because my home wasn't a Christian home. I see. And that was a difference Uh in it. And what about school? I mean, in, in regards to friends, did you feel that at least when you were in church, you were able to interact with some of the children that were there as well as yourself? Oh, yeah. I got to interact, especially in our youth group as I became a teenager. Mm-hmm. Our youth group was a very close-knit youth group. And I always felt like other kids. You know, at home, I was never allowed to have friends over. I was never allowed to go to friends' houses. So there, I was just lonely. And at church, I had all these other friends that I made that made me feel like I was a human. I see. Yeah, that's beautiful. That sounds amazing. Are you still friends with any of them till today? Yes, I am. Uh, I particularly one 
who she lives in California, but she and I actually graduated together too. Wow. But uh, we are very, very dear friends. And, but there's several right here in town that were in my youth group that I still associate with. So yeah, they're still a part of my life. Uh That's the beautiful thing about friends, right? Once you make them and the relationship is sincere and organic, those are usually friends that you have for a lifetime, right? Regardless of right. you argue, maybe disagreement, but you always come back full circle and admire the commitment and the work that was put in to sustain your relationship over the years. So that's that's cool. That's exactly right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you know, what made you read the Bible cover to cover, even though it a lot of it didn't make sense to you? What 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 was it about it to you? I just I just wanted to read all the stories about and as I began to read the stories uh-huh. that was told there about Adam and Eve and about Noah and about Moses and everything, as I began to read, I I went, Man, this God is powerful. Uh-huh. He is does things that is unimaginable. And I couldn't figure out how he was doing them. And then when I got into the New Testament, I didn't understand the correlation between the old and the new. I just understood that how did God make this man out of Jesus? How did how did he do that? And I still don't have that answer. I you know, I just know it was the power of the Holy Spirit. I've come now to realize because I didn't understand the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Huh. I've since learned how that they operate. But it, as a child, I went, I don't get what he means when he says, I can live forever because I'm going to die. And I I didn't understand that for a long time. And of course, when I got to Revelation, that just absolutely blew my mind. I'm going, this can't be. But I couldn't have figured out how people lived by it. How do you do that? How can you live by the commandments of God? If you couldn't live by the Ten Commandments, how are you going to obey his commands from the New Testament? And I couldn't figure that out. I see. So let's talk a little bit about once you started having some comprehension of what you read, where do you think that that got started and how did it start to grow and develop to the place that you became, you began to be comforted and you began to understand and then you, you, you were happy and and content and excited about what you were reading and how it came to life to you. When I received Christ, my pastor told me to go home and read John, uh-huh. the book of John. And he said, don't just read it like it's words. Read it with intention to learn something. And it was in that book that I really began to learn who Jesus was, that Jesus had always been. It says in the very beginning, in the beginning, he was God. He was with God and he became flesh. And it was there that I realized that Jesus was something special in my life and that he was going to play a role in it. And as I began to read and study how he interrelated with other people, I realized he wanted to relate to me. And he came to earth simply to know what it felt like to be a human because he was going to intercede for me when he left this earth. And to do that, he had to know how I feel and how I relate 
to other people and how I deal with life. So I learned that Jesus wants to learn about me as much as I want to learn about him. And that became a beginning point for me to learn more about who he was and what he did, even in the Old Testament, because people say he wasn't in the Old Testament. Well, he was. Yeah. And I just I just had to know more. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And I think people get the idea that just reading the Bible is like a duty or something, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's about knowing who God really is and who Christ is in you. Amen. Yeah, I agree. So what do you think? Well, let me say this, right? I, I think at least in all the time that I've spoken to people, they have a hard time grasping that God is human and he's also spirit. And I think the reason why they have such a tough challenge is that when you look at other belief systems, God is so far away. He's not close, right? And I think because of that, when you picture and imagine God coming down and flesh and interacting with people, it's far-fetched. The idea doesn't make sense to people, right? And I think that's what makes Christianity different from all the other belief systems. It's that one of my favorite passages, I believe, is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Not just that, but I'll just start there. The beautiful thing about that is that Jesus was put in a predicament where he can be our high priest because he experienced or he went through all the emotions and the different experiences that we do and didn't sin. And what makes that so powerful is that when he intercedes for the when he intercedes to the Father for us, he's doing it based upon experience. And having gone through life and experienced, you know, being alone, experience, you know, the emotions and the roller coaster rides that humans go through, to me there's something empathetic about that that I can appreciate versus a God that most people view that's in the sky that's irresponsive or unresponsive to what's going on down here. And Christ being able to be there and go through that is so amazing to me because it shows that he's not only empathetic, he was once in that predicament and situation. So what better person for you to put your faith in than to put your faith in one who's experienced the highs and lows of life like we do on a regular basis? That's kind of what really allowed me to not only believe that it's, Christ is such a powerful individual, but more important, he's the example, he's the mark that we all want to pursue or go after or chase after he's the standard right so that's it uh that's right yeah so that leads me to ask you this question what are some of your favorite books or stories in the bible that you've read over the years that you like to talk about or you like to mention with people yeah well there there's a lot of them in there that i love to i i love to read about the woman caught in adultery. Mm. I because it was there that I learned that Jesus will never condemn you. It doesn't matter what you do wrong or what you don't do that you should do. He doesn't condemn you, but he wants to show you a better way and that you can live a life that's different than what the world has to offer. But my favorite story in the Bible is Joseph. Uh Because as an adult person, I had a difficult problem. And I told God, I'm always honest with God. I, I, I don't hide anything from him because he knows it anyway. And I said, I don't know how to obey your word when it says, honor your mother and your father. I said, I don't know how to do that because everything I did, I was condemned for. 
I, I could never do anything right in their eyes. And I said, I don't know how to do that. And so the Holy Spirit told me to study, not just read, but to really study the life of Joseph. I came to realize that the life of Joseph, because people always say, you can't expect me to live like Jesus. I'm a human. I said, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. But you go study the life of Joseph, because I believe that Joseph was the example of Christ in the Old Testament, and he was pure human. But I, the first thing I learned about Joseph's life was he was from a dysfunctional family. Yeah. And I learned that all families are dysfunctional in some form or other because we're all dysfunctional people. Yeah. So there's all kinds of dysfunction going on. But then I learned that when Joseph was sent into slavery by his brothers, was hated by his brothers. I learned, you know, there's going to be people in your life that don't like you, that want to do harm to you. But you have to go past that mm. and say, I need your help, Lord, to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with it. And I need grace. Mm. I need grace. Mm. But I also learned that Joseph never talked about what happened to him in his life. He didn't tell Potiphar. He didn't tell the jailer. He didn't tell Pharaoh what had taken place in his life. So in my life, I took that that I was never to tell the things that I went through as a child at home. and the things that happened in my life with my parents. My kids didn't know anything that happened in my life. My husband knew a few things, not many, but a few, but it all exploded at my dad's funeral when he passed away. And I had to come clean with everything that had happened to me in my life. And I didn't share that with them to get pity. And I think Joseph thought maybe he would have been pitied. Mm-hmm. I didn't share that with them because I wanted their love more. And I don't think Joseph didn't share because he didn't want them to think he wanted something special from them. He just took life as it was. And I learned through Joseph that God allows life to be life. Yeah. And then he takes what happens in our life and he applies it to Romans 8.28. Yeah. He works all things together for good. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for people to figure out, you know, that that's, this God that's in heaven is doing all these things for us here on this earth. But it works. And I don't I can't explain how he does it. I don't know how he does it. I just know in my life, he's done it, and he's still doing it. Yeah. So We actually had an incident Christmas that was amazing for me. It wasn't for most of my family, Uh because all my family are Christians. Uh, Even my two older great-grandsons are Christians, but they haven't grown in Christ like I have. Uh And so... uh, one of my grandsons had lost his set of keys and he lives in Louisville and he was searching through the house for the keys. And all of us were, we were looking under stuff and everything. And I just sat on my couch, but I can't get up and walk around too much. I just sat on the couch and I said, Lord Jesus, you know exactly where those keys are. Uh-huh. And I'm going to praise you because you're going to show them where those keys are. Uh And believe me, it wasn't three minutes. We found them. Wow. And I told them, I said, Jesus showed y'all where those keys were. And I know y'all think I'm crazy, (laughs) but I'm telling you, I sat here and asked him to show you where they were. Uh And he did. Yeah. You made actually a really good point when you spoke about 
Joseph and Jesus because I think about, I believe this is in the Gospel of John, when the festival was going on and the brothers didn't believe Jesus who he was either, right? Right. It was to the point where they were like, you know, show, you know, let the people see who you are, right? And there was this disconnect that Jesus had with his own brothers because not only did they not believe him, but it seems as though they were distant when it came to him and his interaction. So when you mentioned that and made a connection with Joseph, that was actually something that I just received. And I appreciate you sharing that because I never viewed it in that fashion that, you know, there was this, you know, like we know about Joseph and his ability to see dreams. There was this belief or this jealousy or this discontent that they had with Joseph. And when jealousy arrives, you see how, you know, when a person is operating in sin, you see how demonstrative they can be, right, towards you. So I thought that was a beautiful thing you mentioned. And also, I really appreciate what you said in regards to the woman that was caught in adultery. One thing I love about that story is that, you know, when you read Jewish law and you understand some of the things that they did, a lot of the things that they did, they try to do it and you know, in spite to believe that those that they were dealing with were ignorant. And one of the things what what do I mean when I say that is they know when you want to accuse someone, you have to bring both parties. And in that right. text, it was just the woman. So the question is, where was the man? The man wasn't yeah. mentioned. So that's why I love Jesus' response there, because he says, He who was without sin cast the first stone. And it talks about there being the older men and the younger men. And I always wondered why did the older men drop the stones and then the younger men drop the stones. And I think that has to do with longevity of how long you live life and how long you've been sinning. <laughs> I agree. Right? I agree. <laughs> so yeah. When they dropped it and the young ones dropped it, it was just so powerful how God, you know, through Christ maneuvered in those situations and brought about true justice and understanding of the hypocrisy that was being taken place in some of those settings and how Jesus, you know, responded in such a way that was full of grace. And at the same time yeah. was very deliberate in trying to expose the hypocrisy that was going on among the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's just exactly. things like that where you look back and you see, to me, it was so beautiful. And I think about this too, when they were told to arrest Jesus, there were things he was saying. They was like, we never heard someone talk like that, <laughs> right? Because right. It's like, you know, it, we, you know, or they sent experts in the law to try to trip him up in his words. They couldn't find anything on him. Even when it came, I thought was pretty funny when they when they asked him about paying the tax. We know that it's blasphemous to accuse Caesar of anything because if you are, you can be crucified right there and then, right? And it was, right. it was so beautiful how Jesus responded to that. He said, give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God. So it's a lot of these crafty, manipulative approaches that they attempt to try to catch Jesus. And we know that it, it wasn't his time yet. And we can learn so much about, you know, our communication and our words and and how, you know, through those through just listening and reading about Jesus, how much more wiser and intelligent you can be if you're looking at things in the right mindset and attitude. So that brings me to, and I'm curious to, to learn about this. I know you mentioned and spoke about how you didn't feel loved. And then you mentioned and spoke about how you understood that you were loved by God, loved by Christ. So that leads me to understand you've been married for 58 years. How did God teach you to love your husband? That's very interesting. I was 18 when we got married. Uh -huh. Was only 18, 23 days before I got married. Uh -huh. And so I was very naive. Uh, he was only 19. Uh, no, he was 20, uh -huh. about to turn 21. 
we neither one of us, he lived in on a farm, grew up with uh, seven siblings. His dad was a tenant farmer, so he'd never been anywhere, never done anything just like me. I thought I knew him, learned. I didn't know anything about this man. Uh-huh. And I had our first daughter 11 months after we were married. Had never been around a baby. Didn't know anything about raising babies. And of course, my stepmother didn't have any children, so she couldn't help me. His mother had eight, and I knew she was tired <laughs> of children. So I didn't, I didn't feel like I had anybody to go to. And my daughter had colic really bad. It was 105 the day we brought her home from the hospital. We had no air condition. So the summer, her first summer was really hard on her and me too. And I sat in my living room one day and she was crying and she'd cry and I'd cry. I said, God, I can't do this. I I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a wife to a man who seemingly loves hunting and fishing more than he loves me because he went hunting and fishing every weekend. And I didn't understand that. Why didn't he want to be with me? And he taught me, he said, you never knew love before you knew me. And he said, why are you trying to change what you didn't create? And I said, because he's not been the husband and the dad he's supposed to be. He said, you didn't create him. I did. But you let me change you. And I'll let you watch as I change him. And I knew in that moment, I had a decision to make. To either listen to the spirit, what he said to me. Or keep living like I was and be miserable. So how was I going to do that? And I I told him then, and I still tell him a lot of times today, I don't know how to do that. So you're going to have to teach me. So I opened up scripture and I began to find scriptures about being a wife. And of course, Proverbs 31 was the first one I, he led me to. And I'm nowhere near that woman. Yeah. There's a lot of things in there that I am, but not all of them. But the one that stood out to me was let your husband be known at the gates. And I went, so how do I do that? How do I let him be known? So I learned to just brag on him to people. Because he has three brothers. And I would have people say to me all the time, you got the best one of them, didn't you? And I said, you better believe I did. I said, God picked him out for me. So I, you know, I would do little things to show people that how special he was in my life. Uh, Now he, he's even more special because I have health issues. I have uh, neuropathy in my feet very severely that I can't stand. I, we actually read scripture at our church Sunday and uh, I don't, do steps so I don't go up by the pulpit, but I stand down on the floor and mm-hmm. I'm standing there reading and all of a sudden my feet are starting to say, sit down or fall down. And he grabbed a hold of me and held me up. So mm-hmm. he does a lot for me there, but I just made, I bragged on him a lot. Yeah, I didn't complain about what he did or he didn't do. I did tell him one thing I said, I'll never complain about you hunting or fishing. But I don't want to hear any complaints about anything I do either uh-huh. because I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And he's allowed me, that was one thing that God did in him. He's allowed me to be me. Yeah. He never questions me about where I've been, what I've been doing, who I've been talking to, because he knows and he trusts me. And I learned to trust him. 
I also went to Ephesians where it says, submit to your husband. Now, a lot of people take that as your format. No, I'm not. It's the fact that I respect him enough to let him lead when he wants to lead. Now, if he's not leading, then I can jump in. But I let him lead in every decision that we make. You know, now I can go out and buy things myself without his permission. I don't have to ask permission from him for anything. But it's the fact that I respect him enough to let him know that he is the one that's the head of our house. Yeah. And he is the one who is primarily the breadwinner. He makes the money. He come home. When we first got married, he said, I'll pay the bills. I went, okay. And after about six months of getting cutout notices on about everything, uh-huh. he come in one day with his checkbook and his check. And he handed it over to me. He said, you're in charge of the money. And so I've always been the bill payer. I, I write the checks. He don't even like to write checks because huh. he doesn't write real well. Yeah. But he trusts me in that, so I have to trust him. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes both ways. I think that's a good point because I know I've been asked the question, are women and men the same? And I said, well, ontologically they are, but, you know, women and men function differently. And I think once you understand your partner or whoever you're associated with, you're you're there to complement one another. And you're there to respect and honor one another and appreciate the strengths and also understand your own weaknesses and allow that person who can shine in those strengths to be the lead in certain areas. So I think that's really amazing. Now, what would you say are some bullet points or some helpful things that you can share in regards to how your marriage lasted so long? Because that's, that's, a, that's a really uh, a calamity nowadays, right? Divorce is up through the roof. So what, what, give us at least three things that you can say in your relationship that has helped you, you know, last as long as it has. Well, I, I have people tell me all the time, don't ever go to bed angry. Mm, beautiful, right? In the text. Now, I, I, well, <laughs> I can't say that I haven't done that because mm-hmm. I have. Oh, wow. Okay. But when I go to bed angry, I talk to God about it. Uh. Anything, any issue I have with my husband, I go to the Lord. Yeah. Everything. It doesn't matter what it is. I talk to him about it. And I said, I don't understand why he's acting like this. Uh Or why can't I get over this? Why can't I move past this? And he always comforts me in that. At our 50th wedding anniversary, our daughters gave us a surprise party and someone asked me the question, how did you last this long? Uh-huh. And you know, my answer was, by the grace of God. Uh-huh. Because I don't think people really understand God's grace. Uh-huh. I, I can say I didn't for a long time. I didn't understand what that really was. Uh-huh. But now after 58 years, I know it was his grace that allowed me to be patient with him, to be kind to him, and to love him despite his failures, and for him to love me despite mine, because I'm far. And that's one thing people think people are going to be just what you think they're supposed to be. No, they're not. They're going to be who God created them to be. And you have to allow that, but you allow God to work in them just like he's working in you. So be patient with, with your mate. Uh, You know, do compliment when he does something nice for you. If it's just a little thing of, he holds my coat for me in the winter time and lets me put it on uh-huh. and I'll turn around and I'll say, thank you. And my daughters used to ask me all the time cause he would, we would be sitting watching TV and he said, would you fix me a cup of coffee? And I said, sure. And my daughters say, why do you do that? 
he's big enough to get up and fix his own cup of coffee. And I said, but you don't understand. I want to. I want to make him happy. And if fixing him a cup of coffee makes him happy, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So pick out little things in your life Mm -hmm. that you can really make big things for them. Yeah. Okay. Those, those are really good. I think the text most people are pointing to, I believe is Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 to 27. And it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So most people attribute that, you know, before bed, you know, don't go yeah. to bed in that sort of state. And I like what you said there. And I think when, when we when we really think about the true meaning of love and you get the definition of of love in First Corinthians chapter 13, right? It says love is patient, right. kind. So I think when you go through those different characteristics of what resembles love, I think those things are really hard to maintain over a long period of time because one of the ones that I, that I think about is keep no records of wrongs. I think our generation (laughs) tends to hold on to some of those things. Right. And so let me ask you this. Why do you think, you know, people have such a hard time staying together, right? you're, You're two different, you're two strangers come together as one union you're you're trying to get to know each other and in some cases you, you probably don't know each other as much as you want to before you get married and you're figuring things out as you go that probably are displeasing to you that you might say man i wish if i had known this about you i don't know if i'll be committed to you as 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 i am now why do you think there's such a struggle do you think it's a lack of allowing god to bring, because I believe God brings relationships together. If if you're allowing God to be the center of your relationships, but why do you think divorce is so high and marriages are failing? I, well, number one, uh-huh. as I said, I don't think people really understand God's grace. Okay, because His grace will take you through anything. His grace is sufficient as he told Paul. Uh-huh. And that's just not in, you know, physical uh, aspects of your body because Paul had this thorn in his flesh, yeah. but it's anything. Gra- grace is sufficient for anything. And when I believe Joseph in his life, he went to God. It doesn't tell us that in scripture, uh-huh. but it always says God was with him. Yes. Yes. And I believe as a teenage boy, when he went to Potiphar's house, he didn't talk about it. But I believe when he laid down in bed at night, he said, God, I don't understand this. Yeah. I don't know how why this is happening to me. And I don't know what to do with it. And in my life, that's what I do when, you know, my husband and I would have differences in life. And they did come up, those issues. But I always went to God with it. I said, just help me to understand uh-huh. why I can't deal with it. Uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't ask him to do anything about him. I said, help me to understand me. Yeah. Why can't I deal with this? Uh-huh. And he always would give me a scripture of some kind to help me get through that moment. But people just don't want to put out the extra effort anymore. And I can promise you, I don't care how much you think you know a person until you live with that person day in and day out, night in and night out, you don't know them. Yeah. Because things are going to come up that you're going to say, where did that come from? And, you know, I thought I knew my husband even 20 years after we got married. And I discovered some things about him. I had no clue. I tell him all the time, I said, just about the time I've got you figured out, you do something stupid and I don't know you at all. (laughs) But, you know, it's just something different. And I'm going, okay, where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
but you have to put in the effort. You have to make it happen. Yeah. So you've been you've been teaching God's word for such a long time. Can you speak a little bit about that? Are you a Sunday school teacher? Do you have a group that you gather with when you guys talk about it? You know, kind of share a little bit or extend a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. I started, they started me teaching kindergartners in vacation Bible school. Nice. I was 25. Wow. Okay. And it, it was there that, uh, then they asked me to start teaching kindergarten in Sunday school. And every time that class moved up, it was like God moved me up with them. Mm. So I, when they became teenagers, I was still their Sunday school teacher. And I, I went, y'all have got to be tired of listening to me. And they said, oh, no, we like to listen to your teaching. Okay. Because I make the word personal. Mm. For me, it's always been it's like a God's love letter to me and everything in there is about me and him. In fact, I have a podcast that's called it's his story because God is telling his story in my life mm-hmm. and, where and he's people, telling it. In, where, where, where can people find the podcast at? They could go to anchor or they can go to Spotify mm-hmm. or it's on uh, public radio. Uh, I hear it's on iTunes. Okay. So, or you can just Google it. Okay. And it Apple Podcast, I think, is where you where you mentioning that. Okay. Be sure to yeah. check it out if you if you're interested to want to yeah. learn more. Okay. As you were saying, but yeah. I I kept on teaching teenagers. I taught them for about fifteen twenty years. Loved every minute of it. A lot of Sundays I went. They didn't hear one word I said. <laughs> but now I get sweet letters or texts or comments from them that. They appreciate how I taught the word, that it did become very friendly for them. And they they could understand it because it was written to them. Uh-huh. Then I moved up, started teaching uh, young adults. And now I still teach. I teach a class of women that are all over the age of 70. And they amaze me because they still want to learn from the word because you know, when people get in their senior years, they think they have it all. They know it all. They don't have to have, you know, teaching anything. But my my women tell me all the time, we appreciate the fact that you bring in new points for us, things that we don't think about uh-huh. yeah. in the Word. Uh-huh. I also teach at a drug rehab center down the road from us once a month. And I absolutely love going to teach there because those women are so hungry for the word of God. And when I started teaching, it's called Teen Challenge. And for me, when I heard teen, I thought it was all teenagers. And I get there and there are women in there that are in their 60s. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, what are you doing here? Wow. You know, but they they either haven't known Christ or they got away from him and got out into the world and got addicted to drugs or alcohol or you know whatever but I I love to encourage those women and I always pray every time I go down there that the spirit would give me someone to give a word to yeah and just last month We had an exciting moment where at the end of my teaching, I always let the women talk about if they have any questions for me or if something they didn't understand, I can re-explain or something. And we were sitting there chit-chatting and the young lady sitting next to me wasn't saying anything. She was listening during my teaching, but she just sat there. So I looked at her and I said, well, you're awfully quiet tonight. I said, have you got any questions about anything or would you like to explain something? And she said, no. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, "Uh, are you a Christian? And she said, well, I went to church when I was a child, but I kind of got out of that. I said, that's not what I asked you. I said, do you have a personal, intimate 
relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. She looked at me and said, no. I said, would you like to? And she said, yeah. I said, would you like to do that tonight? It can uh-huh. start tonight. Yeah. And she said, yeah. So I led her in a prayer. I said, God, you know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Save my soul. And she accepted the Lord that night. And that was worth it all. Amen. Yeah, I, I really I, I really admire the story in general because I know there are some people that reach a certain age and I guess they think that they've got it all together. And I usually tell my audience that if you talk to somebody and think they got it all together, you should run and run fast because we are, right. we are individuals that are constantly growing and maturing. And that verse that I, I mentioned in the prayer earlier, you know, anytime two or three are gathered in the midst, there you are. And I really, truly believe that because when it comes to our personal testimonies and how we've gotten to know God, I believe God has a way of showing up in different ways and his, his, his ways are past us finding out. And when you get an opportunity to share a relate a, a conversation with someone and you hear how God's been a blessing to them, you learn more and more about this God, not in your life, but in someone else's life. And when you come together, you see miraculously how God is operating and moving in human history and in personal lives. So getting the opportunity to sit, you can, you're always growing and maturing in new facets and new ways. And just hearing that you have women that are in their up in their sixties and you in your seventies, and you're still willing to talk and have healthy conversation about God and about the word that we're reading is always encouraging and motivating, at least for me that I, I get to see that still going on. So for every person I think, you know, gives you the approach of arrogance and has it all. And for every conversation like this, it gives me hope and, and, and I can't help but rejoice and be thankful that I hear that people are still willing to learn. Cause I know I am, I know I don't got it all together. There's this passage in Corinthians that says those who think they know don't yet know as they ought to know. And for someone like exactly. me, that's, that's encouraging and motivating. So that leads me to ask you this question. In all that in all the fifty plus years of reading scripture, is there any new revelation that you received recent that has blown your mind that you want to share? Sure. Yeah. Last year I was preparing to teach for Easter and I was looking for the passage where Jesus was on the cross. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I found it in Luke. And I, as I always do when I'm studying, I go back and I read the whole chapter. And it was where he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. Now, like I say, I have read scripture ever since I was nine years old. And I come to a verse and I went, I've never read that verse. The verse wasn't there. But it was there. I was just bypassing it when we do that. Yeah. We all do that. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but it was, yeah, where it was where he has, was finishing praying and he was in such agony. And he said, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. And the passage is Luke uh, 28, 43, I believe it is. Where anyway, he says, and God sent an angel to strengthen him. Mm -hmm. And that blowed me away. I went, why would he send an angel to strengthen him? He was God. Yeah. I I just, I couldn't, so I got out. I love commentaries. I have several sets and I, of course I get on the internet and use it too. And I could not find a commentary. They just all kind of skimmed over that verse for me. They didn't answer my question. Why God sent an angel. So like I do, I, when I have questions, I simply take it to the Lord. And I said, Holy spirit explain to me why he had to send an angel. And this is what he gave me. When you look at the cross, you see the physical pain that Jesus went through. We all do. Yeah. You see the blood 
where the, they beat him, where the thorns beat into his head. And you see all of that. And his, he was so disfigured. But you never see, never think about the spiritual side that Jesus went through. Yeah, He was a man. And he had a spiritual side to him. Just think about for a moment that he never knew what sin felt like. And yet, at that moment, he had all the sin of the world. He never knew what sin was going to do to him, even physically. Because we all know sin changes your countenance. Yeah. And he didn't know what that was going to feel like. But the main thing, he'd never been separated from his father. He had no idea what that was going to feel like. And so when all of this took place, all the sin was poured out on him. God had to turn his back on him. And the Holy Spirit could not help him. Because he can't help sin. And he was covered in sin. So in that moment of time, he literally had been rejected. And for him, he couldn't cry out, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because his father had not forsaken him. But in that moment, as a man, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because as a man, he felt forsaken. We all do. There are moments in time when we all ask God, why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you doing something about this? And in that moment of time, he was fully man, but God did not forsake him. He gave him an angel that gave him the strength to do what he wanted to do in order that I might have life and have it in abundance and forever. Yeah. That was amazing to me. Yeah. And I just learned that last year. (laughs) So so when people say they can't learn something new from the Bible, yeah, you can. Yeah. Also, there was was another one, and I can't remember now what it was. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, well, the, that moment passed by. It's a senior. It's a senior moment. And I there was another one that I just learned not too long ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I, I not only second. I actually agree with that revelation because two things that stuck up to me. You were sharing that when Jesus spoke to the disciples and he spoke about how they were scattered. One of the statements is that the Father will be with me. Didn't say God will be with me. He said the Father will be with me. Right. And I also I also think about the prayer in the garden. Right. Where he he talked right. about he once had glory that he had that, but he gave it up, which means that the element of who what made God who he is wasn't there. And then even when you speak right. about Jesus growing and maturing. Right. That's that's a process he went to until the age of 30 before he even started his ministry. So that that shows just like us as humans grow and mature, Jesus did that as well. So those different places, at least in scripture, shows that there was a development stage that he went to before he even started his ministry, before a lot of things transpired, right? He had to go through a stage. So if we know God doesn't, you know, nothing ever occurs to God, right? But here it is, right. you have God growing and maturing and gaining favor. Right. And that's a process. And, and we know God don't the God don't has doesn't have a process. It's already done in his mind. Yeah. So what you're sharing, I, I, I totally agree with it. And I've been blessed. And I'm pretty sure my listeners also have been blessed with that revelation. Because it's amazing. Like you said, you, you look at something, you skim through it and you never realize it. Wait, there's something more there, but you didn't catch it. As many times as you read something, there's always something new. You can get out of God's word. So Yeah. There are times that he there that he knows that you can get the meaning of this. Yeah. And when that happens, he just that verse will just stand out in your mind. Yeah. And you go, 
oh, what I, I never read that before. And there's times in your life when things happen and you go to scripture and it gives you comfort and peace and you went, I've never read this before. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Before we can go, I'm trying to see. Do do you remember? <laughs> remember that last revelation you got yet, or did it come to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We talked about it before, but I don't remember. Oh man, <laughs> see if we can get another one before we go. I'm always excited to hear things like that. It's always beautiful to hear things like that. Okay, so if there's nothing else you would like to share, where can people find you know, your podcast again, and what's the title of it? The podcast is called It's His Story because the Bible is simply his story being told in people's everyday, ordinary life. Uh It's on Anchor. You can get it on Spotify. You can get it on Apple. You can also get it on iTunes. I am on Facebook. I do a devotion daily on Facebook that is public. Anyone can read them. So if you'd like to message me on Facebook, you're free to do that too. Okay. So would you close out in prayer for us, please? I sure will. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this moment in time that we can gather two together and we know that you're here, that you have been in charge of this podcast. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will now take the words that we have said and you will use them in someone's life that the name of Jesus will be glorified and that their lives will be changed just because they know him and know him in a personal, intimate way. And to God be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.